0: My guest today is Kern Cherry. She is known as the Comeback Queen, entitled as she earned from Essence Magazine in the year 2001. She's the owner of PRN Home Care for over 20 years, and her passion is helping women be more successful. She is the co-founder of a series of workshops called Success Women Conferences. in which she's had over 1,000 women attend. This year it'll be virtual, and we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about leading, but more importantly, we're going to talk about what leadership looks like from different points of view and how to thrive and define success for yourself. And with that, well, hello, 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 everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. How are you today? I hope you are fantastic. I am feeling fantastic. And I have the delight to introduce you to a woman who is just phenomenal in her own right. Our relationship has been short and new and amazing. We have had some deep conversations. And today I wanna share them with you. I want you to meet Miss Kern Cherry. She lives down in the Biloxi area. She has had a number of businesses. She's a prosperous business owner. And she has figured out how to build an arm in which she's given back. And we're going to talk about all of those things. But today, I I think where we're going to spend most of our time is as a leader growing a business over time, what does that mean? Where is the rub about being a leader? And what are the things that hold us back? And what are the things that push us forward. How do we mix the hard part of the, being a leader, which is about setting a vision, it's about managing resources, it's about following up, and it's about ensuring follow through. Those are primary the four things that all of us have to do, whether you have the role to be the CEO or the role of you're an individual contributor. But there's some u- n- unique nuances in doing that that leaders have to think about, especially when they're trying to form the culture in their organization and make some hard decisions about when all things change on them, how do they change the culture of their organization? How does it impact their people? And how does it impact their customers? So today, sit back, relax. We're gonna have a bit of a conversation here. And at the end, I'm gonna give you some information on how you can get a hold of her. So with that, How you doing, Miss Cherry? How you doing? Doing
1: great, excited, always uh, uh, to have a conversation with you, Miss Denise. (laughs) I am so thrilled that you have invited me on to your program. So thank you, I appreciate it.
0: No problem, no problem. Well, one of the opening questions that I always ask everybody is, you know, you have lots of people following you. You have, you've done these, you've done conference, women's conferences for a long time now be something that people would be surprised about you?
1: Mm, probably that if you'd have known me as a younger me that I was more introvert than I am now. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people probably wouldn't believe that, but if you ask my classmate, they're like, Kurt was quiet and unassuming during high school, but you know what? Things change. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just that person. I believe that you can you can change and make your own destiny. So it is in your hands. I do believe
0: that. Give us a little bit about your business background, kind of where you started, what's your journey? What are you thinking about the future? So I actually
1: started, and I've had several business years ago, back in Essence Magazine as the comeback queen, because we had already done a few businesses leading into our home care business, PR and home care. Been in healthcare for over 30 years now. And it's kind of my base. If You talk about healthcare, I just kind of go all over those different subjects, but I've enjoyed it. I've had the, the PR and home care for 23 years now, but we also had an adult daycare center at one point. But I always say you got to know when it's time to move on.
2: Mm-hmm. And that
1: was just one of those businesses that the community, at least here, we're not in Florida, we're in Mm -hmm. Mississippi. They're not as receptive that. So they kinda like if they're gonna take care of their loved ones, not in facility, is probably gonna be at home. So that was, you know, something we always wanted to do. But as business owners, you gotta know when something's costing you more money, (laughs) it's a passion, but it is not something you need to continue to do. So we did that for a few years. I've done many other businesses prior to that. We had staffing prior to the crash, the industry, the therapy industry, because I'm an occupational therapist by trade. And so that being said, I've home care, then doing some of my other business in my conferences that are they're their own business in themselves, like Success Women's Conference. And and now I've at a couple of other conferences, Power Up Summit, etc. So So I'm just, I've always, I guess, in a sense, I've probably been an entrepreneur longer than I've actually even worked for somebody. Even when I was working for somebody, I always had a little side hustle. So I enjoy it. I enjoy being an entrepreneur and I enjoy working with people as well. So because I also coach folks as well.
0: You know, that's an interesting perspective because Lots of people, you know, I call them hobbyists. So those side hustles are kind of hobbyists. They bring mm-hmm. in a little bit of money, but, you know, it's opportunistic money. Mm-hmm. And today, because the way things are, we're in the midst of quarantine, et cetera, people are particularly looking to say, you know what, maybe I, maybe it's a good time to start a business. And many people know that I fell into my business. It was not a long-term strategy. And now it's, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm approaching 16 years on mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of missed that, you know, I didn't I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> but what I've learned is there are certain personalities, there are certain behaviors and ways of being that you have to embrace if you're going to be good at doing this. Mm-hmm. You've gone through a couple iterations. You've had to figure out how to pivot. You had a dream of having assisted living and realize it may be my passion, but it's not the market's passion.
1: That is true.
0: How did you, how do you make those breaks? Because a lot of people start businesses that
1: are their passion baby. Looking at your finances, looking at your numbers, because I do feel like some people will allow one business to take them all the way down. Mm -hmm. And so when you start to look at that P&L, profit and loss statement, and then you start, for me, I had two businesses. So I had my home care business and that was in 2000, I think, we started that in 1999, then in 2001, we just relooked at it. The home care business had never had a real bump,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? It was consistent, it was going up, and it, it had a really good pace. Mm-hmm. And so it just got to where, where the uh, adult daycare, we started off, it was going fine, and there were people coming on, but at the same time, we had overhead, and so I always tell people When you start in a business, don't go out. We rented our building, right? Mm -hmm. That's initially we rented it, and then then we brought people in as well because we had a nurse, we had an activities person, we had a nurse aide. Uh, So it was a smaller group compared to some of these big organizations. But still, those are things you need to look at right off the bat. Don't bring yourself into debt that you can't walk just easily. Walk away from. We were renting versus owning the
2: mm-hmm, building.
1: Mm-hmm. That's one. We could easily cut that staff down as we saw that the income wasn't coming in. Mm-hmm. Okay, we got a nurse. We got a, activities, etc. The nurse is always she can do anything, right? And then you just go from there. It's kind of like the these nursing homes in general. That's how they run their mm-hmm. business mm-hmm. when they see that their clientele isn't high enough you'll see the people on the floor, the lower end people get cut first. Mm -hmm. A hospital does that. So you have to keep keep in mind, even though you didn't start it because of a dollar, at the end of the day, it is about bringing in money. Mm -hmm. So even if you're just breaking even, you have to ask yourself, is this a road you need to stay on? Yeah. Because sometimes we tend to get caught in our passion and we allow that to really take us all the way down. So yeah. we just evaluated it. I mean, like I said, look at your profit and loss, look at the potential, do, do some surveys, you know, make some calls. We I've called social workers and all and just asked them and they'll say, look, the family members just don't want to bring their family out the house.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. there's your answer. Mm -hmm. And then you have to decide what you're going to do. The customers are not buying it the way you want. You might have some raving clients who love what you do, but Mm -hmm. I hear from you, is it enough not only to sustain a business, but to grow Mm -hmm. it and to make sure that you can stay in business over the normal ups and downs of a business.
1: And I also want to suggest to people, if this is your first line of business, then consider adding another stream of revenue. I mean rule of thumb in the business world is seven streams of income. Mm-hmm. So most of us aren't even at two.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: always when you're starting a business add multiple streams of income and multiple payer sources. Don't that be mean? de- meaning that don't be dependent on it cuz this is what I see with contract people that get contracts. People get so excited cuz they got a large contract. That's one stream of revenue. If it's a contract, you're either on a 30-day cycle, 60-day, 60-day cycle, or a 90-day cycle of payment. Like with Medicare and things like that, that's a 90-day cycle of payment. You must have another stream of income to sustain you in case they say, oh, your paperwork isn't right. Oh, we didn't get it, or whatever. I've had an incident, and I can say recently, incident. Well, I had to wait five months to get many thousands of dollars. I don't right. really want to go in how much, but my point is, if I didn't have another stream of revenue, cash, You everybody know cash is king. So make sure you always have cash paying clients. If you can get insurance paying clients in my field, that's essential as well. Mm-hmm. But don't be dependent on just a contract. Mm-hmm. contracts are great and i'd say get as many as you can but make sure you balance that out especially now that we're in this uncertain time you have to have those streams of payer sources mm-hmm. to balance out your financial sheets mm-hmm. so,
0: so and just and it's keep really going. around the cash flow which is why mm-hmm. oftentimes i will tell people keep your job mm-hmm. this is really you know it's a good hobby it brings yeah. in Um, hobbyettes, it's a great way to bring in a little extra money to cover some other things that you might want to do. But, you know, know where your your main source is going to be and how that flow of money is. And Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things, particularly women and people of color, we we just aren't raised in an environment where we watch those pennies like that.
1: Correct. Correct. So definitely, definitely always make sure that you have don't just walk away from your job. I always tell people, if, if it was me, I would leave in stages. Right? You want to set yourself up for the win. And if you're really smart, because some people are very smart when they hire onto the job, they hire with an exit plan.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If you don't have one right now, considering what we are, I would say create your own exit plan. Right. Create your own exit plan. And I'll so. say
0: that even if you decide that running your own business is not the place you want to be. Yes. No matter what, whatever we like about it, whatever you don't like about it. And I'm one that says face, face the facts, deal with the facts, and then we can go for aspirations. But right now you got to face it. And one of the things that we know is a business mantra is people can balance out a balance sheet and they will go up and down with you. Um, and you can lose your job for no fault of your own. We just need to, you know, be able to hit a certain stock price. We need to be able to show a certain amount of cash flow, et cetera. And they will just lay people off. If you get caught that way and you haven't invested in you yourself as a business, because Mm -hmm. working for somebody else is just a contract for labor. Just like as a business owner, I have contracts for labor with other businesses or other individuals. It's the same same concept in my mind. Exactly. So the idea of an exit strategy or how am I keeping up on my skills? What am I thinking about doing? How do I keep my network and people who are out there fresh so that if something happens, I've either got a new customer or I've got a new place to land exactly. <laughs> in terms of my job. Exactly. It's the same strategy. So it's not an either or strategy. It really is figuring out what what does that look like. I think there are a couple hard, I always say businesses have three parts. One is um, you got to have something to sell. Two, you got to have somebody to sell it to. And three, you got to be able to collect money. We talked a little bit about collecting money, but to bring all of that together really means you have to understand yourself as a leader. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to understand the role that you're in. And I I believe every role, you're a leader, doesn't matter. Like I said, every person who works for someone is a contract for labor, and you are the CEO of your life. You are the CEO of your work life, and you need to act like that. You need to think about that. But when you're in the role of of someone who is managing others, there's some other challenges. You know, leadership is a contact sport. You can't read about it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and think you're gonna be a good exactly. leader.
0: <laughs> exactly. And you talk about that you were an introvert. How did you learn to be a good leader? Well, first, off,
1: first off, I guess being an introvert, but I've always enjoyed being with people, so mm-hmm. to speak, being mm-hmm. around them. And for me, I always feel like when I look back at it, I guess a light bulb turned on one day, but I actually started seeking out to be amongst people. So one of the things I did once we moved back to Mississippi, you know, as people from Mississippi would always say, I'm never moving back. And then you you find yourself
0: back. Right back home.
1: Right back in Mississippi, right? And so one of the things I sought to do was to attend different networking events. And even though it felt uncomfortable, I had to learn to insert myself to, to start to um, to just attend and find ways to get involved. So the one thing that I did know how to do is to volunteer. Mm-hmm. And so I started off with that. I always tell people, even if you are, an introvert, if you can find a way to insert yourself by giving of yourself, you will start to build relationships. And that will open you up. So I would attend a networking meetings and I'd be that wallflower, didn't know anybody, et cetera. But then I would go up and I still do sometime today. I'll, I'll go up and say, well, how can I be a part of what you're doing? I really like what you're doing. I want to serve on the committee you know, serve on the board, whatever. And that gets me in and it, it allows me to open up. Yeah. So yeah. for the introverts, I personally think volunteering mm-hmm. will allow you to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. And then you'll feel, because most of the time with introverts, we tend to open up with, to people that we know. Yeah. So, And that's the only way you're going to get to know people right. is by allowing yourself to connect so that's kind of what I do. And, and to be honest, now most people know me. I love networking. I love connecting, building relationships
0: and collaborations. So how did you decide who was going to like come on your staff? And how did you go through the selection process? And when did you decide that culture mattered versus skills?
1: For me, now that's a combination. Because I always say my husband is very good at figuring out who belongs on the staff. So I'm better at the inside as far as like, who's our marketing person Mm -hmm. or somebody like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But even then he has this gift of seeing the other side. So you have to be willing to work your partners. You have to listen to each other. Mm -hmm. So he used to tell me, okay, that person's not going to work out. And I'm like, how do you know that person's not going to work out? Because I'm uh, that person gonna do this, that and that and he would lay it out and I'm like, how do you know that?
2: Mm-hmm. And sure
1: enough, you know at one time it was like, I felt like I was set up, but I did put myself in the situation <laughs> to be set up, right I said he said, come with me, we're gonna interview this person together and he said, I'm telling you the person will last a week and a half. I'm like, I don't think so So literally we interviewed this person and after reviewing, and hiring a person, it kind of fell out, just like he said. Yeah. So he has a good discerning. But I had to learn to listen. I was thinking that I had to, you know, I'm like, well, I can figure this out. I'm like, I've been hiring people all this time. But at the end of the day, he was the one weeding them out. So we established a process. You know, he is the front line, you know. And so he will tell me, he said, this person's going to work out blah, blah, blah. And then I'll talk to them about the rules of engagement for our company, Mm -hmm. how we work, Mm -hmm. how ours, because everybody thinks, well, I've worked for a company like you before. So I know how you should operate. Now we're different. We have a different concept on how we run things. And so I wanna make sure you understand what we expect from you when you're representing us. And I often tell people, When you work for a company, know that even when you're off duty, Mm -hmm. you are representing that company. Mm -hmm. So the people think, well, I'm off. I don't represent anybody. I'm just out and about. No, not only are you a brand, but you're also representing that company's brand Mm -hmm. when you're out and about, especially the people that are in the administrative roles need to always be cautious of that. Now, I know some companies tell people that, and some don't. Back in the day, I used to work for a chaplain,
2: mm-hmm. a
1: lieutenant colonel in the military.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We were talking one day, and we were talking about some of the things that were happening in the organization. And he, he looked at me, and he said, look, he said, what y'all don't realize or what you're not accepting is that when you are out, I don't care if it's in a grocery store or you're in a meeting, people see you as representing me Mm -hmm. so you have to be cognizant of that so when i'm hiring a marketing person i'm looking for somebody that will represent me well right they may be a good marketing person for that other company they may be a good salesperson for that company but if they're the kind of person that would cut and take somebody else's client versus the way I operate, I don't yeah. believe that you have to go out and take other people's client. Right. I believe if you present it right, they'll come to you. Right. So I look for those kind of characteristics
0: mm-hmm. right off the bat. Right. So, okay, was- so let's unpack this a little bit because you, you talked about it both on both sides. Mm-hmm. Every employee represents the company that they work for. Right. You talked about how we operate, our ground mm-hmm. rules, our way of doing it. So what's a ground rule that makes your working at your company, being a part of your company, an important value or principle that you want to see in the people that you hire?
1: Well, first of all, integrity means a lot to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I like people to be straight up and honest. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking from the leadership side the team, like the marketing people, uh, head of and people like that then I want you to be honest with our clients when you're out selling who we are mm-hmm. what we provide mm-hmm. you need to make sure that you understand what we do and don't provide mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. in sales it can be very tempting to say that you offer something that you can't even either you can't offer or that you are not even sure that we do offer. I know. So, and, and as a I, business
0: owner, I've run into a bunch of salespeople. Mm-hmm. Now, if they're ten, nine of them are going to tell me that they're whatever is the sun, mm-hmm. the stars, the moon, and everything and, else I need, and yet the product doesn't work.
1: They yet the product doesn't work, or you're not able to provide it.
2: Yeah. Or you
1: know, it's it's nothing representation of the mm-hmm. company people buy people yeah they buy people all day long mm-hmm. but once they get a taste of that the fact that you're not honest yeah they don't want to buy you anymore right and then we and all you know are
0: and and the company
1: and, and the company because the rep, they're representing the company mm-hmm. so if you go by the rule of thumb that one person knows seven people and you keep multiplying those seven that spreads like wildfire yeah. So there have been chances where I've known great marketing people, and I know men are very aggressive sometimes in their approach, and they 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 want you know sometimes it's about the win, right? Yeah. Or or getting those numbers that you need to secure your job, mm-hmm. and so you have to at that point I look at that and I'm like, eh, that's just not the approach. You're really good. I can see your numbers are great over here. But that's not what we need over here.
2: Mm-hmm. So, yes,
1: I want to win. I want declines. I want mm-hmm. as many as I can get. Mm-hmm. But if it means that, it's, that my
0: reputation is going to be tarnished, mm-hmm. then I'll go without. And that's I'll really promise. about, this is the promise that we give out. Don't yes. damage the promise. Deliver right. on the promise. Right
1: because I'm very involved in the community mm-hmm. and people see me all the time. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they don't mind picking up the phone, calling. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm on social media. So yeah. many of them, they don't mind dropping a note yeah. and saying, hey, this is what I heard. Yeah. And so it's really important. And I've seen a couple of those and we've had to politely allow those people to leave the company. Yeah. You redirect and you talk to your team to make sure they know that, yes, you want the sale, but you don't want it at all costs if it means that our reputation is no longer trustworthy.
0: Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so the other thing I want to just dig a little deeper in is that we hear all the time about all kinds of people who are out on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all of these social media apps, which are fun, you know, and they're inter- entertaining, et cetera. But they say stuff. They do stuff that make you go, hmm. Being a coach, particularly executive coach, if so people will say, well, they know that's just my personal life. You know, I put out all this stuff about my family. I put out all this stuff, you know, about how I feel about this, that, or the other. They know I'm not like that at work. They know I'm all about the business. But that's not true. Because we how you do anything is how you do everything, right? That's
1: correct. I think people need to start looking at themselves as what they really are, a mm-hmm. brand. Mm-hmm. You are a brand. Mm-hmm. So once you learn that everybody is a brand,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so how you're perceived mm-hmm. on social media mm-hmm. is how the world sees you Yeah. in general. So if you start treating yourself like a brand and keep in mind that even though you're associated with a bigger brand, you should be focused on also building your brand reputation
2: mm-hmm. and
1: therefore you want to make sure that on any platform if you can't put it on LinkedIn a professional platform you shouldn't be putting it on Facebook yeah
0: right yeah because I used to say all the time if if you don't want to see that on the wall, front page of the Wall Street Journal <laughs> don't
1: put it out there don't put it out there i often tell people i said sometimes you know you're sitting on facebook or instagram or some other social media site and somebody will say something that almost lures you in Mm -hmm. to say something negative Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i always tell people this is how i can combat that i actually will type it out Mm mm-hmm read it over Mm -hmm. and then I release it by deleting it Mm -hmm. because you can't respond I always tell people stay away from religious and political comments because what happens is sometimes that will come back to haunt you yeah it may not but it may and everything on digital platform lives forever And now everybody is tuned in to the digital platform more so than ever. So where your boss might not have saw it before, Mm -hmm. he might get a message saying, hey, did you see this about your employee Mm -hmm. over here? I didn't know you did this. Do you know everybody can see that? You just have to think, think about what will happen 10 years from now
0: you know it's it's oh, not, too- not even 10 years because i think one of the biggest problems we have is we don't know when to edit you know and that yes. whole editing of there are some statements that don't entertain saying that part of it because mm-hmm. that's a personal opinion and knowing mm-hmm. the difference between your personal and your public reputation as you're talking about a brand i think that's the thing that gets blurred the most for people is that we mm-hmm. don't understand that people see you and judge you not by what you say but what you do. Yes. If I see you online a little crazy, a little disrespectful, a little mean, Mm -hmm. then I'm going to assume that if my back is turned, you're going to do the same thing. Right. I used to say all the time that, you know, you came in here to tell me something. You came into my office to tell me something about Mary Sue or Michael over there.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm pretty sure that you probably told five other people before you came in my office. Right. And then what are you saying about me? Exactly. (laughs) Because if I see you doing that over there, I'm gonna assume that you're doing it to me. Right. Mean to those people over there, then you're gonna be Mm -hmm. mean to me. And people do see that kind of behavior and they make assumptions about what that behavior means and how you're going to treat other people. And in the workplace that can be toxic. It is. Have you ever had to fire somebody because They were a great worker, but they were toxic.
1: Yeah, particularly my aides that worked for us. Yeah. And I often tell, and we've had to do this with, even with the interview process, if we have several people come in and you'll get one person who just has a lot of questions. They're very negative. They're derogatory. And you're like, in your mind, you're thinking why in the world did I invite this? It's too many of them in at the same time to interview. Same thing with your staff. They'll come in, one person, they complain every time. There's always something negative, 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 negative. And so eventually, I graciously make a path for their exit. Mm -hmm. Because if if they're groaning and moaning all the time, they're going to call each other, they're going to go off to the side and talk about things Mm -hmm. to talk to you Mm -hmm. about. So you have to find a way to, uh, because sometimes it's not necessarily fireable action, right? But they're draining your organization because they're causing other people to want to leave. And so Mm -hmm. therefore, you have to find a good exit strategy for that person
0: yeah and, mm-hmm. and I, I you know being in hr i keep reminding people we live in america and as long <laughs> as it doesn't hit that race gender you know mm-hmm. title seven thing we'll mm-hmm. fire you because i don't like the way you blow your nose <laughs> exactly. and employers go oh my god i can't do that I, I say well wait a minute this is a person who's created a you know a, a hostile work environment because mm-hmm. i can tell you if they're if they're over here in the corner talking about each other Mm -hmm. and not saying you know and not being a team player Mm -hmm. and what you've now done is you you've created a way in which people are looking at it and they they think you know even if you don't know they think you know that this is going on and And they figure you condone this and therefore it is a reflection on your leadership we've had
1: 24 clients that are Where they have um, caregivers in 24 hours. Mm
2: -hmm. They are
1: always, we always make sure that's one that's appointed and considered the leader of the group. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times when they report back, you start hearing some negative things that are happening between them. Because let's face it, sometimes we we hire mostly women and sometimes they can get catty amongst each other. You don't know if it's jealousy, hate, or just sometime that person wants the other person ours versus them. And so the client will eventually make that call and they you can tell by talking to them yeah. that they just assume, you know, some of them just say, well, I assume that, you know, yeah. and I'm like, not necessarily unless, unless the caregiver says, well. Hey, did you know so-and-so was doing this, that, and this, and that? And uh, she's causing conflict amongst the the other caregivers. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we've seen it happen many times. After being in business 23 years, you just, I've seen it all. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you feel like you, but you know what? There's always something else that'll come up and you say, really? Mm -hmm. You know, something, occasionally something new, but I've seen quite a bit.
0: Wow, let's talk a little bit about your other business,
1: the conferences. Uh, we will be virtual this year. Our, our conference is in our sixth year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We average on attendance over a thousand plus people mm-hmm. in, I always say, little old Biloxi, Mississippi. <laughs> We're about, you know, most people, if you don't know, that's about an hour from New Orleans. And so last year we had over a hundred speakers. Uh, we had Dr. Yana Van Zandt and Gloria Mayfield-Banks and uh, Deborah Gordon and several others, but we've also had Lisa Nichols, Robin Roberts, Dr. Sherwood, many uh, national, international speakers in attendance. So
0: what's Uh, the purpose of the conference though?
1: The conference is that our goal, uh, when we first started this conference, basically from our perspective, looking at it, many women were looking for something Mm -hmm. deeper than a networking meeting, a meetup and things like that. So we had all talked about it here for over 10 plus years.
2: Mm -hmm. But
1: just as a lot of people probably are in a situation where you don't have a week or two weeks or something that long a time to take off and go be at a conference for three or four days, right? So we decided that the women were looking for something that inspired and empowered them to do something. Mm -hmm. And then to, for some women, they, they're in that corporate space where they just need something extra to get them recharged in their life, you know? And then of course, for me, I'm all about connecting everybody. So I, I want people to connect to people, not just in your backyard. I want you to meet people from around the, the nation, the world, hopefully. Last year, we had over 25 states represented. But we found that people really were looking, mm-hmm. and we have been able to bring in people to get them started. We started with 540 women the first year and moved 1,000 the last few years. Uh, this year, we hope to go international because we're going to be virtual, yep. and it's free. Yeah. So we, we've we been fortunate enough to keep bringing in these international speakers. This year, we have Forbes Riley, Dr. George C. Frazier, uh, Sharon Lecter. If you don't know her, she's from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, co-writer. And then Dr. Striblin and many other people that we will be bringing in to our conference. And once again, we'll probably have close to 100 speakers as well, mm-hmm. but- we're doing it five days because, you know, everybody can't take off every day. Yeah. But they can plug in a, a couple
0: time. hours. Yeah. Different yeah. times a day. So mm-hmm. everybody always says, you know, this went really quick. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really been good talking to you about your journey, but also how, how you've had to think about it as a business person, an employee, as an ambassador in your community, and an ambassador for the empowering of women. How can people get a hold of you?
1: Well, you can go to my website at CoachKern.com, mm-hmm. CoachKern.com. Uh, if it's for success, successconference.info. I can also be reached. I love LinkedIn, it's my favorite social media site. So you can contact me there, Kern Cherry, or any of my social media sites, Facebook instagram twitter Pinterest, and all kind of places but kern cherry or kern crockett cherry can mm-hmm. catch me on any one of those social medias
0: and of course I'll we'll love. have the links down in the show notes uh, for anybody mm-hmm. who wants to if you don't if this doesn't air you know before it right, i hope it does and you can't mm-hmm. get in these are this is an annual conference right yes yes so yes, yes, yes keep an eye uh, sign up and get news about uh, when it happens again next year as you are out there doing it and doing it well, hon. Huh? Yes, ma'am.
1: Yes, ma'am. And I'm looking forward to it. And if you go to my personal site, you'll see the other conferences as well.
0: So last question. I asked this of other folks, fill in the blank. Leadership is? Having strong emotional intelligence. All right. You heard it here first. I don't think anybody said that one. Hot dogs. dog. I got to put that on a Twitter. <laughs> well, that's a wrap. You've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Music provided by Ivan G. Hall. Let me thank the C-Suite Radio Network for hosting me. And remember to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. As always, let me know how you're doing, what you're facing, and what you're struggling with as you try to close the gap. Create a pathway from where you are today to where you want to be, achieving your goals that will bring your greatness to life.
2: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.